Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hero Ball Podcast. My name is Ethan Huffman and today it's Ethan and Elkins show. We're not going to talk college hockey. We're not going to talk NHL hockey. I know that's what everyone comes for on the Ethan and Elkin solo pod, or, you know, not, without Richard pods. But today we're just going to roll out the classic NBA. And in fact, we're going to start off Elkin with a game you got to attend in person. So, you know, we can say hi and how and how, how are we doing, but you know, that's where we're going to get kicked off. So. Pacers Brook. I was hoping uh you said no to some college hockey, no to some NHL, but I was like, oh, we can make up Jacob DeGrom news going to the Rangers. But we're not going to do that right now. I'm sure uh, Richard would appreciate that. But uh, things are going well over here, Ethan, and uh, I did have the chance to go to the Pacers-Nets game from November 25th. And I enjoyed the amp. First of all, I enjoyed the atmosphere. A lot of Nets fan in the building. I was like, yeah, that's expected. Um... First of all, first time seeing Kevin Durant in person. I've had a chance of seeing like Giannis and LeBron in person. Um, Giannis, first of all, if you guys have never seen Giannis in person, this is nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about. But the game that I saw him, it was back in February 2017. He almost dunked from the free throw line. He like took two dribbles from the other three-point line and was at the other end and jumped like with a foot inside the, three point, the free throw line. And I was like, oh. Giannis is out. He's doing stuff. And LeBron, I went to a playoff game back when it was Cavs Pacers in the first round. And LeBron is as big as they say he is now. This game, it was interesting. Like, watching this game, uh, the Nets, they definitely came out like they came out strong. Like, the Nets were up like 35-23 in the first quarter. But, like, some observations, Kevin Durant can get a shot anytime he wants to. Like, it's ridiculous seeing how, like, tall... Like, our seats weren't bad, and it's ridiculous seeing how tall he is compared to everyone else on the floor. Like, him, I'm pretty sure at one point he was standing next to Nick Claxton. I was like, he's taller than Nick Claxton. I was like, he just feels like he is. But just the way he just maneuvers and gets around, I was like, man, he's making this look real easy. And like, he, the thing is, he didn't have his best shooting game, but he was still making buckets when he needed to. And Kyrie Irving, his handles were ridiculous. Now, Ben Simmons was the one I was actually fairly impressed with. So, like, Ben Simmons went 8 of 8 in that game from the from field goal and then he was four or five from free throws six rebounds three assists and 20 points and like the way Ben Simmons was playing was what I had pictured like him in this role because it was just a lot of like defensively he was he was moving around and I saw him a lot like do some stuff defensively but then at the same time offensively he put himself positions to get like into a good dunker spot and that's what it just he was doing. And a few times, also, too, he had, like, some nice, like, funky hook shots in the paint. And I was like, this is beautiful. But now, main event, Pacers. Oh, man. Tyrese Halliburton, his passing. He has 15 assists in this game. No turnovers. His passing is just ridiculous. Like, it's not like he's doing, like, oh, let me do, like, a simple, like, these are all fast break passes, easy assists. Like, he's getting, like, solid, solid assists. And I was like, man, he is the real deal Holyfield when it comes to this passing. And Buddy Hill, when he's off from three-pointer, like, he's just going to hit him. And, like, I think Miles Turner might be having his best season as a pacer this year. Just kind of seeing, like, defensively, his activity has always been great defensively. But offensively, I think I've been enjoying, like, seeing more of what I've been seeing. He had 23 points in this game. And you can really see him getting more comfortable in three-pointers and hook shots. And then, of course, Ben Matt. Benedict Matherin off the bench. He started off cold to begin with. He was pretty cold. Like, he was not making anything. But once he started going, like, he fed off the crowd. And, man, he is all over the place. And, like, 
he is just a pure scorer. Like, I'm going to tell you, like, this guy can just score, like, no matter what. And that's one thing I was just like, I really appreciated that about him. And you also know, too, Ethan, one thing I've, uh, I did enjoy, I hadn't seen much of Aaron Neesmith. And it was actually, like, decent, like, kind of seeing him. And I didn't realize that Aaron Neesmith, three-point shot is what you want out of him. Like, he only made one to four. But I think the biggest thing is, like, man, he has, like, the physical tools to be a decent, like, wing defender. Like, that's one thing, like, I was impressed with him. Like, yeah, it sucks. Sometimes he got switched on to Kevin Durant, and there's nothing you can do about that. Kevin Durant's just going to shoot over him. But other matchups, he did fairly well holding up his end. And I was like, all right. And uh, last thing I do want to say... Uh, we had a great, uh, we had Heat legend, James Johnson, get almost 10 minutes of play. So I appreciated that. I thought about uh, you, of course, Ethan, as I saw him there. He guarded Kevin Durant a few times, but I uh, had to give a shout out to one Heat legend, James Johnson. Well, of course, you you always have to do it. And, I mean, plus minus is not everything. It's very it's very often a nothing burger. <laughs> but he was plus 12 he was. in his 10 minutes. So we got we to gotta point that out when it, uh, is it, is it, when, Plus minus means everything when it is advantageous to our storyline. That's what we care about. And yeah, I I had a lot of interest in this game. I, I identified it as something I wanted to take the over on, and it was it, it was successful. It was a one twenty eight one seventeen Pacers victory. And you know, I can echo a lot of the things that that Elkin's saying here about the observations and teams and like what where both these teams are finding themselves as to really you know potentially scary offensive teams in this league. Like I said, the 15 assists, the zero turnovers, it, it's, it's just becoming normal for Tyrese Halbert to really just have a maestro's control of, of the game. And I, I think back to some of his pre-draft stuff and how everyone, a lot of people were worried about his, his left hand. That was what I heard a lot of like, you know, reputable even, and it's fine. You know, people have little mistakes that, People were worried he was a little bit too right-hand dominant, and I, I really pushed back on that at the time. I was like, I don't see any problems with this left hand. I see he wants to go right, but what I saw with him going right was he had such a versatile passing profile when he went right, because he could throw all these different direction one-handed passes, and that was why I had no concerns about some of that right-hand dominance. And I think we're seeing that in the, in, in the league right now, is if you play him right, he'll draw, go left, and he can still create a lot of opportunities. But the reason, especially with probably limited spacing, he needed that extra precision, that extra confidence in the college game when the floor shrunk a little bit to throw all those great passes. And talk about a great pass. The, the, the win against the Lakers here recently, where he... Looked, saw, saw the shot clock, knew he had a little bit of time, was looking for his shot, but when he you know, read the backline defense, saw LeBron still creeping in the paint, he knew he had time to throw a bullet and on the money pass. Um, you know, Kevin O'Connor pointed it out on Twitter, and it was it was a great analysis. A perfect pass to Nimhard right in the shooting pocket. And, and watching Nimhard this year in his development, he's the kind of guy that I, sometimes he's not going to be as good. Like He's shooting 4% from three, but right now I'm viewing him as he is a catch-and-shoot guy, not a self-creator. And if you throw it on the money, he can make it, and that's exactly what happened in that scenario. Yeah, and like even hearing him talking about the game afterwards in the post-game interview, kind of just like, yeah, he was trying to get to his spot, but he kind of knew. He was like, as soon as he saw kind of like, 
what Westbrook or like Reeves was doing. And then, of course, he saw LeBron put like just a little bit towards that paint. He was like, oh, I got a guy over there. And that's what I've been enjoying about him. Just like he's getting those passes that you want, like get it into the guy's shooting pocket. Because, yeah, there's guys who can hit the open guy. Let's just say like they'll make it in the traffic and they can see the open guy. But then the pass is like at their ankles, which then like if you guys, if any of you ever play basketball and you're like, you spot up at a three-pointer and you have your hands out around like chest height. If you catch the ball there, it's easy to go up and shoot. But if you got ankle height, then you got to go down. You got to like almost reset everything and then shoot it. Yeah, there's some great shooters who'll be like, oh, that's no problem. But you increase percentage, even if it's by a little bit, if you get it right in that shooting pocket, which is what he did. And like with this team, Ethan, like offense, offense, definitely. Of course, defense bottom of the league i mean we're bottom i think we're like 23rd in defensive rating this year like the thing is like offensive ratings not even that high but pace we're number one though give you that um with this team i kind of just look at it like i like the building pieces that they have like they have something there like i think they kind of figured out that tyrese halliburton your guard of the future and i think he's only 22 years old right now too i remember because he was drafted in was it the 20 draft, I want to say? This is his third season. Yeah. Whatever. whatever. Yeah, the, the 2020 draft where we had more time than we've ever had. So he'll, he'll be tw- turning 23 in during this season. But yeah, when we had more time than we've ever had to look at prospects. And, we and you know, we had the entire the entire gambit for – I think we, we legitimately did podcasts – on 40 different prospects that year. Like, not full pods dedicated, but, like, we, we did a podcast on Mason Jones. I remember you guys had, like, it was extensive, extensive stuff over there. Well, to, 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 to roll it back and have some self-reflection, yeah, we, we did a great job covering that draft. Uh, we were rosy on everyone at the end of the day. Like, in, ter- in terms of, like, every, every little guard that had a chance, we were like, oh, yeah, I... Put him in your development system. So like, there's there's some funny takes if you go all the way back and and take a peek. Um, but yeah, that, notables is I had Tyrese Halliburton second on my board, and uh, Richard had Desmond Bain sixth. So keep that in mind when you're when you're asking us about prospects. Ah, that's interesting. But yeah, um, kind of summarize it all. I mean, with the Nets, you can kind of see like this team like with it has championship aspirations, but it's definitely a few levels below those championships like right now for me like east i know this game happened like it's been like it was like a week and a half since this game happened but like i think you both you and i know celtics and milwaukee are pretty much like the top of the east right now that's your top tier but it almost feels like the nets aren't even in that second tier below them like like if, if they are in the second tier and the bottom of that second tier like it and that's the wild thing to me right now with with the talent that they have and it could be that they're getting used to more of Ben Simmons. Like, that's the thing. I'm giving, I'm kind of some flag. Ben Simmons was out for a year. Kyrie, we'll need to dive into that, but he's missed a certain amount of games. So I'm like, we'll give him that. But, like, they have some decent pieces, though. Like, that's the one thing I guess about this team. Like, Seth Curry was making buckets. Nick Claston, when he, like, when he's on his rolling game, like, he's rolling in defense. He's all over the place defensively, especially with blocks. He's solid. Joe Harris, though, man, I feel like he is just something still missing. I know, I know, he was injured last year, and he's kind of getting to it, but like, he, he still feels like he hasn't gotten his touch back. 
that's the thing. But like, if you have like those guys though, you surround them with shooters, like having like a Seth Curry, even like, I mean, Kyrie can shoot. And then of course, like you have like Joe Harris and even like a Patty Mills. I know however way you want to do it in crunch time, but we'll see how it goes. And then I know uh, that TJ Warren did come back. I know he just, he finally played his first game. And he had his first bucket. So it will be interesting how this team develops, the Brooklyn Nets. And I feel like as the season goes on, I do kind of expect the Pacers to kind of be, I think the Pacers are going to end up being more like a 500-level basketball team. Like, they might be a little bit above 500. Like, this team, this looks like a team that's a potential to win, like, 45 games. Like, that's where I kind of view it as. Like, 45-win team. And I'm okay with that because I was expecting this team to tank. And obviously, I would have, I wouldn't mind if they would have tanked to go for Victor. But I know the DNA of the owner. I'm like, there's no way they're going to do that. And they're just going to build from there. But I don't know if you have any other thoughts you want to add about the those two teams. Well, I'll talk about the Nets a little bit. We don't really have a super dialed-in plan of the pod today. But, like, I want to just kind of point out something. Like, and I don't know how sustainable some of these guys are. But, like, right now, if you look at – I, I want to key in on four of the role players for the Nets. Utah Wananabe, Royce O'Neal, Seth Curry, and Patty Mills. Utah Wananabe shooting 57% from three. And then the rest of those guys are between 38 and 41%, which I think is very sustainable for Patty Mills, Royce O'Neal, and Seth Curry. Um, basically, one of those guys is always going to be on the court for, for this team because that's kind of your, your nominal shooting guard position and backup point guard. And then Royce O'Neal is your best you know, attempt to have a solid defender other than Ben Simmons when he's he's dialed in. I, I just say I'm excited to see if how the Nets can develop. You know, not the easiest team to root for with with, uh, with Kyrie Irving, and then honestly, just how that ownership and G like the, 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 this team's just such a dysfunctional situation. It's hard to like kind of get too excited about anything. Um, but one of the things I want to mention about this team before we move away. You, you would think this team would have an, an elite offense. Well, they're currently 11th in the league at, you know, sl- just slight, a couple spots ahead of the Pacers at um offensive rating of 113.3. And you think, okay, their defense is bad. Well, right now their defense is 12th in the league at 112.0. And I think the point I'm trying to make here is to be a, a championship-level team, you need to be top five in one category and then okay, mid, middle of the pack in the other, or top 10 in both. That's kind of like the, the standard for, like, these are contenders in the NBA. And this team, with all the dysfunction, with still a partly broken Ben Simmons, no T.J. Warren, Kyrie situation, and to be honest, Kyrie and Kevin Durant shooting a combined, let's see, Kevin Durant's 40 or 34% from three, and Kyrie's 33% from three. That's not them for... Like, as a whole, they're both much better shooters than that. This team is still a sleeping giant if they don't blow it up blow it up on themselves. I mean, there's no no better way to describe this team than some kind of Neanderthal that could just really cause some havoc, but also could, you know, take the pointy end and stick themselves with it. You know? Like, they just don't know the tools that they have, apparently. But I just want to point that out, that their role players are performing well, and or at least three of them are shooting, I think, very sustainable numbers. Um, Joe Harris could always get better, and Kevin Durant, as great as he is, he could get even more efficient by shoot, just shooting 36% from three instead of 34. So be scared of the Nets if you get them in the first round. But then again, the the Bucks or the Celtics swept them last year, so maybe I am 
Maybe I'm crazy. I think the thing I really want to talk about today was the offense in the NBA. And it might not be every team in the league, but it's it's a significant chunk of guys that are just seemingly have figured out the offensive game. I want to run you through um, some of the teams that I'm just super impressed with um, offensively. Obviously, the Boston Celtics. They are at an uh, offensive rating of, of 121, and they are four points per 100 possessions better than second place. And just to give you some clarity, second place, if you go four points deviation, you go all the way down basically to the Trailblazers who are 14th. That's a pretty big jump in terms of where we're talking deviations uh, from the norm. And then the, the the bottom spot is about seven points lower than that. So like they're almost an entire deviation ahead of like what the other elite offenses are. In comparison year to year, we got the, the Celtics at 121 last year per 100 possessions. If I'm, if I'm reading this correct, oh, I didn't sort it, that's why. If I'm reading this re- correct, the Jazz were were number one with 116. So they were still a, a deviation ahead. And second place, and, and basically there are five teams right now that would all be the leaders last year if you just cut this sample size off. I think the question is, why is offense up so much in terms of the elite programs doing it? Overall, it's still pretty close, but right now, offense is taking a little bit of a jump back, especially on teams that are, I mean, obviously know what they're doing. And it almost seems like, I mean, if you think about some teams here, like the um, like the Celtics, I think, like, continuity is, like, a big thing. And they pretty much, like, they've kept, I want to say they kept their pretty much their same team, and then we throw in a Malcolm Brogdon. We add him to the mix. And then you kind of just threw that, like, and I'm kind of just looking at it, like, this team also is shooting, like, they have a lot of, like, main guys. Like, outside of Tatum, Brown, and Smart, you have just a bunch of guys shooting 40% from the three-point line, which is just, like, absurd. So, of course, like, if you have one of the best, like, three-point shooting teams, I'm just like, okay, your offense is going to be ridiculous because what's the other team going to do? I mean, I believe they're first right now in three-point percentage too, and they're up there in attempts and three points made. So it's just like, oh, yeah, of course. They're, I'm looking at all this stuff here. Like percentage-wise, they just make – I'm looking at field goal percent. They're th- third in the league as well. Like So that's ridiculous. Like where they're making all these shots, and like it's not even their main guys who are like – shooting like the highest percentage but then like still you have like Jalen Brown is shooting 51% Al Horford giving you we can let's round it to let's give him 47% from three point like you look at that like some guys are just like okay and you kind of saw like a fit like a Malcolm Brogdon like I think we kind of saw that coming in that he's if he's healthy and you're bringing him off the bench like this is an ideal guy you want off the bench because he's a guy who let's just say you don't have Tatum around in there he can create his own offense he can facilitate and he's a really good shooter like that's what you have and like I think you keep that close and I think they do benefit from like Jason Tatum has just been I almost feels like Jason Tatum even though it's not like a big statistical difference from last year almost feels like he's taking another step in his game like that's what that's what that's the sense I've gotten from watching the Celtics games this year compared to last year and seeing him develop these last few seasons I'm just like oh man 
and that's what I see that often what it comes down to Ethan like this team is just hitting like pretty much all their I don't say they're hitting all their shots but they're just lights out from anywhere on the floor like that's where he's looking if if you had to s- just arbitrarily say how many people are in a playoff rotation Elkin what what number would you say uh playoff rotation probably looking at like seven to eight like probably like eight yeah so that's 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 correct. I I say eight is the number, and then you have your 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 gadget guy is your ninth, basically. This is the way I would look at it. Like the Spurs, I would say back when the Gary Neal had his had his day, he was that ninth guy that got hot, and they they rolled it, rode him. Anyway, that's irrelevant in terms of like the story time about that. But you said eight. Currently on the Celtics, they have eight players that are shooting. Over 40 percent or higher from three point land, and three of them are not their starters. The only three guys basically they're shooting under 40 percent from three are the three guys that play a lot of minutes that you would expect. Marcus Smart because he's an okay shooter, not a good shooter, and then Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are both shooting uh, 35 for Tatum, 34 and a half for Brown. And why is that? They take the difficult ones, but everyone who's taking you know, basically, I would, I would, ha- I would love to see if I could pull this up. I'm not sure if I can f- do it fast enough. Um, the guys who are taking a, a, a threes that come from assists, they're making them. They're making them all, and it's it's just crazy to think of how how good this team is. And in fact, Richard, I have your answer, or not Richard Elkin, I have the answer here. Um, on Basketball Reference, you can go to team specific pages and go to the shooting tab. And it says percentage of field goals assisted. And then you can sort it three-point. Al Horford, 100% of his three-pointers are assisted. Sam Hauser, 100% of his three-pointers are assisted. Let's just say if your name isn't Derek White, Smart, Brown, Brogdon, and Tatum, you've been assisted on all of your three-point attempts. And to have Jason Tatum, who draws doubles, Jalen Brown, who draws doubles, they kick to you and you get a shoot. And you and you're making them at forty percent, and literally you haven't taken an off a non-assisted three-point attempt, or you might have taken one but you haven't made one. That's crazy, Elkin. That there are eight, seven or eight dudes. I'm I'm a little dyslexic, so it's hard for me sometimes. But that many dudes that ha- are only catch and shoot guys, and they're shooting forty percent from three. You know what this is like. Nuts. You know this. This is making me think of uh, the Clippers team. You remember the, the Clippers? Well, I don't know if it was last year or, or like a, two years ago. Remember like that Clippers team that just shot lights out? Like that's what made me think of. You look just down the roster and everyone's like shooting 40% where you're like, well, that makes sense. You have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George who just the defense is just going to like lock in on. So you are just going to be out there on the three-point line just ready to like catch and shoot. That's what it is. Yeah. No, it was it was two seasons ago, and they shot um, they shot forty one percent as a team from three, which to, compared to the Celtics, they shot they're shooting uh, forty point four percent, I believe, more or less. the The really interesting thing about that team, and I'm pulling, I'm trying to pull it up right now to go to the same same statistics. I I would venture a guess that they're not not nearly as big a splits in terms of the threes that are assisted in comparison. I'm looking at it right now and at least most of those guys that were steady rotations, basically only their bigs 
were the guys who all their threes were assisted. There's still some high percentage guys. Like everyone's, most people who take threes, they get it assisted. But a lot of your highest volume guys, Lou Williams, Paul George, both those guys were creating most of their threes. And then they also shot well. Same uh, difference with Kawhi Leonard. But yeah, that team had everyone shooting good. I've got it pulled up again here. They had one, two, they had 10 guys all shooting above 40% from three. Now, granted, some of these guys, one of these guys is Malik Fitz. So he doesn't really count, but he he did do it. And then, not to mention, Kawhi Leonard, who was at 38, or 39, um, Beverly at 39, Blue Williams at 38. Like, literally everyone that played minutes for that team made threes. And that's why it was 41%. And they were just a hair shy of the record team, which was, I think, like the 96 Hornets or something like that. A Hornets team um, that had... um, Dale Curry on it was is how I remember it, but I don't remember what year that was. All in all, Elkin, this Celtics team's offense is ridiculous, and it, it they are the outlier. But offense, it feels is, is easier. I think, I think, and this is my hypothesis. I'm not going to back it up with anything, so we'll just leave it at that. My hypothesis is that teams are doing such a better job. The teams that want to win are doing such a better job of identifying talent that fits around their star player and supplementing their players appropriately. I just look at what Denver's done over the last few years, and now they're finally coming back to being healthy. They got Jokic. He became an MVP. Jamal Murray was kind of already in place, but they, they took a chance on Michael Porter knowing his offensive upside. They acquired Aaron Gordon for his off-ball motion and movement that allows him to shoot 70% from two basically because all he does is dunk the ball like all these things teams are just doing such a better job of identifying what players fit with the guys you have and, and so it was actually he's actually shooting 60 percent from from to um the field but it is it's 68 percent from two-point range for Aaron Gordon a guy who um was not the most efficient player uh most of his career in um in Orlando no but I mean I mean you're right like I'm looking at like so let's say I went and just looked at while you were talking some of like these top teams that we have on the east and west, and you talked about it and you look at how I think the teams and we we've, we've kind of like hit it hard how important it is to have a smart GM who kind of sees that picture that like hey we have these pieces when you put together like we always rag on we always get on Rob Palenka for like the job he's done with the Lakers because I think the three of us me you and Richard can also can see like. If you take that championship team and just tweak things just a little bit from that championship team, this team could have been in contention again. But no, what happens is let's go and go for Russell Westbrook. You're like, makes no sense, doesn't fit. But you go down like the line, like a Milwaukee or go to like Phoenix or even like Cleveland or like I even looking at like New Orleans Pelicans. Like you see like you get these players that you're like, we're we're not just grabbing like oh here's a flashy guy let's just get one this random free agent or make a trade to bring in a guy just to bring him in no we're getting players who are going to complement the guys that we want to shine on our team and like that's what the smart teams are doing and then you see as a result those are the teams who are starting to break away from the rest of the pack and like then you kind of see some other teams who are like figuring things out and you're like uh well is this going to work and like the some of the other teams who aren't breaking out i kind of say because of injuries or whatever what other thing is going on in there but like that's what i see like your top teams like even like the kings like i've been impressed with the kings some of like 
what they're doing. I mean, we always rag on the Kings. And, like, Mike Brown, I've always been, like, kind of meh on Mike Brown. But, like, this team, like, bringing in, like, uh, getting Kevin Herter, I feel like he's a solid complimentary piece that you have there. Put him in your starting lineup. He's a guy right now who's shooting almost 45% from the three-point. And I'm like, well, put him there next to Darren Fox. And you're going to have him next to Harrison Barnes, Sabonis, and... I think right now they've been playing a lot of Keegan Murray on that other position. That's They've been using that a lot. But, like, just kind of running that, you're like, oh, now we see what this team is trying to do. Now this makes sense. But but kind of just looking at that, Ethan, like you talk about, like, kind of like these offenses. Like, I think it was part of it comes down to, like, how familiar you are with the other players around you. And, like, I think one reason why the Celtics are shooting so good is once you've been around players for an amount of time, and they kept pretty much almost all their key players. You kind of know where other guys are going to be, where they like to get the ball, when to pass it to them. And, like, you kind of saw, well, like, we talk about the Warriors after they won the championship. Like, a lot of it is, like, they know where to get Steph the ball. They know where to get Clay the ball. Like, that's what they're going to do. And that's what I see happening here. Yeah. And you mentioned the Kings. And, obviously, they they made a trade I wouldn't have made. But it's working out for both teams right now in terms of what the goals of franchises are. Demont Sabonis... They, they, they acquired him, and then they did all the right things. They got a lot of length added. Like, they added, you know, Keegan Murray in the draft. Maybe not the highest of upside picks, but a really good, versatile player that's 6'8", play, can, play, can play defense or will be able to play defense if he's struggling a little bit as a rookie. Harrison Barnes still on the roster. And, you know, Davion Mitchell, great point of attack defender. Like, they, they built the kind of players that they could put together an okay defensive lineup. Um in, in, in a pinch. And then Darren Fox's kind of like recommitment to that role has, has been, you know, cool to see as well. But it's funny you mentioned the New Orleans Pelicans um, a little bit ago as we were talking about teams that have put together some good masses of talent. The funny thing about the Pelicans is they've messed up multiple times and they've still accumulated so much unique, appropriate, and well, like, well, um, developed players around Zion Williamson. But like, they had Steven Adams, and that was a mistake. That was not the best fit. Then they went out and got Jonas Valanciunas. And, you know, just maybe there might be a Miles Turner where they're like, oh, we actually have the guy who does all the things we need, not just be able to score, especially from three-point land, to spread the floor for Zion Williamson. But, oh, he can actually protect the rim too, so Zion's defense is not a problem. But like, think about the players that they've drafted. Jackson Hayes was the mistake, but... The next year they get Trey Murphy, uh, Trey Murphy, and they've got Herb Jones, and they've got Brand- and they they trade they they develop Brandon Ingram into being a, a better passer, and he and you know he improved his shot. They said, all right, we're we're a little small with C.J. McCollum running point guard or even two guard. They draft Dyson da- Dyson ja- Daniels. I'm so struggling with words right now, but <laughs> Dyson Daniels to really help if he develops the way he looks and he throws some really nice passes. It looks like he's got a good basketball head on his shoulders. He's a six, eight guard. That's great. That's good for versatility. They develop a guy like Najee Marshall, former Xavier player. He's just been getting better and better. And he's a solid defender, good catch and shoot guy. And when he played in the G league showed some isolation burst, he can go out there and, and play NBA minutes. And then obviously Larry Nance is a really nice, big part of a big rotation. Like, this team has made some mistakes, and they've still put so many versatile players on this roster. That's what that's what, that's what I was going to bring up. Like, you have, like, you go from getting all these positives on there, then you got your Jackson, and, like, Devontae Graham. 
like the stuff that they're i'm just like well that doesn't make sense like Devontae graham's been good again this year but like the overpaid when you have a guy like Jose Alvarado that you developed out of nothing, you drafted Ky- uh, Kyrie Lewis, which I don't think was a mistake, but he just has been injured. Like there's legitimate mistakes on this roster. Some that are not your fault and some that are like dr- drafting Zion and Jackson Hayes together was never going to be a good idea. That's just two guys who don't shoot. And one guy who you know, is going to say stupid stuff on social media. We don't have to get into that, but he's it's there. You can look oh it up. My, yeah. He's just, I'm not going to get into him that much. Like you and I have both like, we, we know. We know. And, like, that's the thing that gets me. Because I remember that was a draft. I believe. Because that was after the Lakers trade, I want to say. Right? That That's how they're able to get those top picks. And then, like, you kind of see, like, it's wild to me. And we can always talk about revisionist history. We can talk about hindsight. But, like, looking at who, who came after Jackson Hayes, you're kind of just like, man. There could have been just some of these random players here. Like I'm, I'm looking at him like you have all these guys that could have been definitely beneficial to the lineup. And of course we talk about should have, would have, could have. I mean, you and I have brought up like all oh, the Sixers should have never traded the Mikel Bridges pick and stuff like that. But that's the crazy thing about these teams. But like even throughout all of this, like New Orleans is still putting themselves in a good position. Like I almost feel like their good moves have outweighed their bad ones. Like, and, th- and that's what you want. Like it, you're going to, you're, you're never going to hit a hundred percent. But the moves that they hit on, like the team is sitting at, was it 14 and 8 right now, I think, which is like you want to head. And I, and I mean, Zion was pretty much out the entire year, right? Last year, he was pretty much, I want to say he was out. So like if you get Zion and, and you and I have kind of both noticed like Zion looks like he's in better shape. I feel like he's still playing himself back to like getting used to NBA, like NBA Zion, because like if we look at his stats just from like the season where he before he got injured shooting 61% from the field goal, um, field goal, and then 3.7 assists, seven rebounds, 27 points per game. Like, that's the guy that you and I were both like, I think Richard was like, oh, my goodness. Like, it feels like he just makes, like, scoring look real easy. And he's like a 6'6 guy, and he makes it look way too easy because he's so big and quick. Yeah. He, he's nuts. Um, you got C.J. McCollum, mid-range assassin, Brandon Ingram, same thing, but he's expanded his range to three. Brandon Ingram shooting 46% from three this year, and that was the reason that he couldn't last alongside LeBron James back in the day. Like, obviously, Anthony Davis was always the Lakers' goal, but, like, Brandon Ingram, if he had been develop, developing at this rate then, who knows if Anthony Davis ever makes it to L.A.? Because Brand, if Brandon Ingram was shooting 46% and be able to get off whatever shot he wants when LeBron was his teammate, there, there, there would have been a lot more maybe we just try to win and then sign Anthony Davis um, ha- happening at the time. But here's the thing, too, Elkin. I know we're, 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 we're going to be wrapping up here in a second. We're talking about how successful this team is. Let's say 14-8, and eight, and they have the ticket. They're sixth in offensive rating, third in defensive rating. They're top ten in both. Um, all this being said, I'm looking at their games played for their players. There's no, no – like the closest thing to like a star player that's played a, all, all, almost all their games or has played all their games is Jonas Valanciunas. Like – CJ McCollum's at 18, Brandon Ingram's at 15, Zion Williamson at 17. Those are your three three dudes, and none of them have played all the games together. And I'm guessing they're not all missing the same games. So this team, they're so good in terms of statistically, and we'll see how that all translates to playoffs and pressure and all those kinds of things. But right now, they're top 10 in both offense and defense, and 
they haven't even got their full scope of players playing a full season together. This is going to be such a unique development team to keep an eye on. And again, they're great at offense and they're solid at defense. It's it could be it could be a really scary team, especially if there's one more move out there to maybe like tighten up that rim protection because that's really the only thing they're lacking by the way your formula about like looking at offensive defense rating like either being like top 10 and like or like being like top in one of them and then being like meh average but like or being top 10 in both like i was looking at the top while you were talking at one point i was looking at all the top teams and it's like clockwork you have these top teams who are like either top 10 in both or just really good like milwaukee bucks are not top 10 in both but guess what Top in defense. They're the top defensive team. So I'm like, this makes sense why they're winning so many games because their defense is ridiculous. Like, Brooke Lopez has been playing out of his mind. Like, I know they missed Brooke Lopez last season when he was dealing with some injuries, but, like, he was, he's been playing, like, defensively, he's been playing so good. Like, that's one thing I've been real impressed with. But, um... And I, I, that's not my form. I, I don't know who I heard say that one time, but, like, like it might be, it probably was Nate Duncan and Daniel Larue, just because they're the guys who really like dive into numbers and like even even though I do think they both like watch basketball to enjoy it, it sometimes doesn't sound like it. It sounds like they just want to like have the result and look at the numbers. Anyway, like you know, love them. I, I pay for their I pay for their podcast, so like I obviously value their information. But I think I think it was I think it was Nate who was like, you either need to be top five in defense or offense where that is your identity and then be okay at the other, or you need to be top ten in both. And I think basically if you look at like I, I pulled I'm pulling up last year's Celtics team. Last year's Celtics team was seventh in offensive rating, second in defensive rating. Let's pull up the Warriors real quick from last season. I and I bet they're gonna be I think they had the number one defense if I remember correctly. I think you're right. And I know they have one of the better we'll defenses. What, uh, they were number one in defense, 17th in offense. So there's your top five and middle of the pack. Like, I'm going to pull up a Heat team. Like, this, this is what we're going to do to end the podcast. We're just going <laughs> to uh, fade out pulling up stats from years prior. Last year, the he, here's the reason the Heat couldn't do it. They would have defied logic. They were seventh in defensive rating and 24. Oh, no, this is this year. Never mind. Never mind. This, this is me being bad at reading the internet. Last year, the Heat, uh, uh, Jimmy Butler, you know, rim out from going to the finals. Um, by the way, real sad that that's kind of happened to him twice in theory for the Sixers and the Heat. Yeah, real I was going to say that. Um, defensive rating of fifth last year, offensive rating of tenth. So technically speaking, top ten in both and top five and one. Really a good title contending team. And if we go back two more years, um, the the heat of the bubble, seventh in offense, eleventh in defense. There's your almost top ten both. I think the point is, Elkin, and we and I think this is a good time to close out. We we we've discovered a little bit of a formula to check relevancy and check if see if teams can really do do it all. Um, you got to be meet, go to okay at both, and you got to be great at something, or you know really good at both, and. You know, that's that might be the thing that keeps certain teams away. Like I feel like Memf- the Memphis Grizzlies don't quite have a dominant feature. I'm looking at them right now. They're ninth in offense, 14th in defense. That's not quite a dominant feature. If I look at the Nuggets, I know that they're a top five offense, but their defense might be a little too bad. They're fourth in offense, 25th in defense. It's it's one of those things to keep an eye on. Oh, you're right. Like those... I, I I just looked up Cleveland. Cleveland seventh in offense, second in defense. 
So I'm just like... That just tells me there's not a glaring problem anywhere. Every problem you have, you have at least an answer answer for enough to to keep in games, to stay relevant. And you know that's why I don't know if Cleveland's quite a finals contender. It's, all, it's year one for these guys. Like let's not blow it out of proportion. They got a plenty of years. Everyone on that team's young, but except for Kevin Love, um, but they they have the they're checking the boxes. The Phoenix Suns, second in offense, sixth in defense. That's why they've been relevant every oh, year definitely, for the last yeah. couple years. Well, it's when I you think, don't man, have a glaring weakness. That's a good that's point. That's why you're yeah. always in it. That, I mean, that's something, and like, and then the good because you're right. The good teams are the ones that figure out what their weakness is, and I think they kind of like, all right, let's either bring it in peace during the off season, or let's plan how we can like take away this weakness so other teams don't exploit it consistently. I mean, it's 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 very obvious. The, the the teams that are great at something go to the finals. The teams that are really good at something go to the conference champion. Go to the conference finals. Like it's sometimes it's as simple as that, right? Oh, Elgin, I reckon we, we've hit we've hit a line. It's snowing in Portland. I gotta go cut down a Christmas tree. You got a son to attend to. I say it's time we part ways for the day. Pleasure talking to you as always. Always a pleasure, sir.